Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And we've got a super knowledgeable guest this week for you guys, Dave Chesson, creator of the Publisher Rocket Keyword Tool, as well as courses on keywords and categories, Amazon ads, MailerLite, and other good stuff. Um, and on his Kindlepreneur site, he's got a lot of free, art, uh, yeah, free articles you can check out, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, but they talk about how best to do launches, uh, again, the keywords and categories, kind of understanding how the search engine works, basically all the little things you should be tweaking to hopefully get your book selling better on Amazon. And we're going to ask him about all that and also the new A-plus content on Amazon that's now available to self-publishers. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. I've seen you talk now at several conferences, but I don't think we've actually had you on. So we are glad to have you here. Yeah, for sure. This is uh, really cool. I've been a big fan of what you guys have done. So to be here, pretty awesome. Awesome. Well, for those who don't know you, uh, could you tell us what your background is and kind of how you got into helping authors figure out the inner workings of Amazon? Sure. Yeah. Well, so uh, way back in the day, uh, I was in the military and they just kept sending me uh, off to new foreign countries and without my family. And so we started to have that talk of, hey, you know, um, what, why are you doing all this? And like, is it, you want to be an admiral or something like that? I was like, no, no. So we started to look at some way to be able to come home and to be uh, together as a family. But when you're on like the other side of the world, like at that time I was in Korea, what do you get to do? Uh, you can't start a brick and mortar. You don't want to jump from one nine to five traveling job to another. So that really got me into writing. But the problem for me is I have dyslexia and I've always been uh, shall we say it's been a bit of a challenge, uh, for writing. Uh, you kind of grow up believing that you're not meant to write because you struggle so much in class. And so I wasn't going to let that deter me, but at the same time, I also had to be a little bit more, shall we say, proactive in learning. I can't just sit down and write anything I want and not, you know, can't write about, nature, what's going on, or even about my life. And people be like, man, this guy's great. And like, no, instead, I wanted to try to figure out what makes Amazon hum. Why, well, if Amazon has millions of people coming to their store looking for something to read, how can I understand that a little bit better and perhaps use that in my writing, that knowledge? And so I started to devise ways to understand what's going on in Amazon, what's selling, what's not, what's happening in the market. And I started using that information and for myself, that was like a boon to uh, my author career. However, though, not many people were talking about it. So I started Kindlepreneur.com as a website that helped me to chronicle all these things and talk about all these ideas. Um, I know, you know, I learned pretty quickly that authors didn't like Excel sheets and lots of numbers. So that propelled me into creating Publisher Rocket uh, to help kind of do that more effectively and efficiently. Um, and I'm very happy to say that I was able to uh, get out of the military after 11 years active duty. And I'm now home full time with my kids here in Nashville. I'm loving every second of it. That's awesome. And uh, thank you for your service. I was actually stationed in Korea for a year and a half in the army way back when. And yeah, nice. ma what, makes you appreciate home. <laughs> what base? Where was I? Camp Carroll. Ah, okay. Nice. I was all, all the way down in Busan. So. Yeah, we, we did a field exercise down there. I was driving a Humvee from, with my first sergeant in the car, and there was so much traffic, and they were so close. I hit something and knocked the mirror off. So that's kind of what I remember oh. of that city. <laughs> yeah, the roads uh, are pretty days. crazy. Yep. 
Um, well, anyway, we're going to ask, of course, about the Amazon workings, but since M uh, a the A-plus content is sort of a newish thing, and I don't think the three of us have really played around with it yet, and we saw that you had an article on your site kind of like explaining what it is and how to use it, and I'll link to that article also in the show notes. But could you give our listeners sort of the gist about what it is and if we should be checking it out? Yeah. So a little bit of context to Amazon. Amazon has been doing a lot of changes on the Amazon, what I'm going to call the Amazon book sales page. Okay. And that's, that's your page where your book is on Amazon. I call that the Amazon book sales page. Okay. They're constantly tweaking and changing and doing AB testing. And that's where they change the website for some people and they keep it the same for others and they see what works better. Um, and it's incredible all the things they're doing. I think they've really wrapped, ramped things up over the past year or two. Like maybe all their programmers were staying at home and so they got more done, you know, from, from, from office or what. But one of the interesting things that they've come out with is A plus content. And what this is, is kind of like the editor review section, but um, on steroids. Okay. Uh, for those who don't know, the editor review section is a section where authors can pretty much write just about whatever they want. Um, it's, uh, if you got a review, a friend, even your mom, they even, they used to say this on their FA, on their FAQ that even your mom can leave a review, which I always thought was the funniest thing. Cause it's the most unprofessional thing. You wouldn't expect amazon.com to officially say that. Um, they got rid of it though. <laughs> maybe, maybe their editor read it. It was like, come on guys. But the point though is, is that if you get anybody to say anything, you can write it in there. Uh, and, but all you could do is some basic HTML. You can only bold a section and italicize but that is it, nothing else. And while this section is really great, and I absolutely recommend authors take advantage of that, um, it's one of those where I think Amazon was seeing a lot of people weren't spending as much time. I believe that they then created the new A-plus content section um, where it's listed under a section called From the Publisher. And in this, you can use text, images, comparison tables. You can put pretty much whatever you want in there as some way to convince shoppers that this is the right book. And so whether or not this is good, I'm still analyzing to find out. I believe it is. Anytime Amazon gives you an option or a section on their page to do whatever, uh, I think that that's, that usually spells good things. But that being said, I want to give a little caveat. I do not recommend authors jump on it and stress out about creating something for it. What I recommend is that if you as an author know how to put together something that fits your genre visually and or, you know, is able to compare something or, you know, you've got that, then use that section. All right. Now, I know as a shopper, uh, obviously, I, I shop on Amazon a lot. I think the entire world does. And that sort of section and that sort of format of information shows up on a lot of product pages like for electronics and laptops and, and whatnot. And it's really very useful there because in that in that situation, there's a ton of, uh, of effectively identical or similar products, and you need to find the one that perfectly suits your needs. Books are tremendously subjective in that regard, so it's not quite as clear. Like, if you're doing a laptop, you want all your specs and stuff there, and you want to show nice glamour shots and all that. Books are an entirely different deal. So are there, like, common bits of information that readers might be looking for in that section that you might want to highlight there? 
Well, I think uh, for nonfiction, you might actually want to do specs, um, you know, and in that case, uh, specifications translated into benefits. All right. Um, the, you know, you want to list maybe what comes with the book. If you're one of those nonfiction authors that created like a companion course, man, that is a perfect image to put in there. The visual of the free companion course that comes with it. Or if you have that component where, hey, sign up for my email list and you will get this blah, blah, blah. Put that on there too, because that just adds value. Hey, if you buy this book, you don't just get the book, you get X, Y, and Z. And this is a spot where people can visually see it and see it as something that looks real instead of just the quote unquote digital thing you send them. Um, and I think that's really a great component. So for all the nonfiction authors, write that down. I think that's really cool. Make a mock-up of your PDF, make a mock-up of your, of your course, put it in that imagery. I think that will help. Uh, I'm waiting for somebody to look at the comparison tables. I have a feeling there's some use for that somewhere. I just haven't figured it out yet. Um, but if I, I hope to find something that somebody where they found something really unique to do. Um, so I don't know about the comparison tables, but I do bring that up because a lot of people ask about that. Um, but perhaps maybe there's a very famous book and then there's your book and maybe you have a lot more to it or maybe that you have a lot more credentials. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend trying to throw any book under the bus or, you know, to, to downplay something. I think that would be terrible and that would be kind of, uh, I think that may throw some shade on yourself a little bit. But perhaps you can highlight the things that make you greater. If you're a doctor, perhaps make that very clear in this that you are a doctor. Otherwise, without this A-plus content, the only way somebody's going to figure out if you're a doctor is if you put it in the book description and it is there, um, you know, or and they read it and they read that one part or they go to your author bio, which not everybody does, um, and they read that too. But man, if I see the picture of you as a doctor, whoa, okay, you know, this, you know, this is clearly somebody who knows what they're talking about. Now, with regards to fiction, my belief on A-plus content is convincing your potential reader that this is the kind of genre book they're looking for, okay? I'm a strong believer of that where I, I call this the symbiotic relationship, okay, to book marketing. Uh, shoppers go to Amazon, they type something into the search bar, Amazon presents them with a list of books. Now, in their mind, they have some idea of what kind of book they want. Maybe they start by typing in like fantasy book. And then they look at the books. They just look at the covers mostly. And they're like, okay, no, no, no. Uh, let me add a word here to call out all of the scantily clad elf men. You know, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's a result, but they see something. They're like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Um, they add something to it. Like we'll say uh, epic mage necromancer, like some kind of term that is their kind, like a darker sort of sorcery. So they use that word. And then they see a couple and they're like, okay, well, um, and they start to augment them. But the point though is, is that in their mind, they kind of know what the book is. They kind of know what that, that, that cover, that kind of genre, that feel, that tone is. And so they're starting to augment their search until they see it. When they get to the cover, they see a cover that feels like it. They'll click on it. They're then trying to figure out, is this the kind of book for me? OK, uh, for example, I'm a big fantasy literary PG fan. Uh, I love literary PG cultivation, and I usually throw in the word dungeon so that I don't get the wuxia type of cultivation books out there. And most of you guys probably like, is he speaking English still? 
Um, <laughs> but I like to see things that remind me that this is that kind of fiction. Same thing with like, for example, people who want a thriller. Well, what kind of thriller are you looking for? Like blood and gore, like hardcore thriller, almost on the verge of scary. Or are you looking for a cozy, you know, mystery thriller thing? Like, and so I'm to wrap up this question is that I would say that you have to know that you're trying to convince that reader that this is that kind of thing. If it's a humorous fiction, then there's got to be something humorous and light about it. It should reinforce in my mind that this is the kind of book that I'm looking for. And so I would say using design components uh, would be really important. And one last thing I would definitely say too is uh, use that editorial review. If you had somebody famous or maybe somebody big in your genre or somebody with what I call a qualifier that makes sense, highlight that. One example, and I um, I tell people to tr- try to do this in your editorial review section all the time. There are a lot of websites out there that um, they, like, for example, there's one called topsci-fibooks.com. Are they famous? No, they're not. Uh, is, are the editors there, like, uber amazing, phenomenal? Probably not. From a marketing standpoint, though, would you rather, as a shopper that doesn't know what I just said, would you rather see a editorial review on your science fiction book that says, you know, this is a great book. It was a fun read by editor at top sci-fi books.com. Or would you ra- rather have an editorial review that says same blurb, except it's from John Doe. See, and so I always tell people, try to find that qualifier that makes sense to the normal person. Top sci-fi books means this guy must be a straight up, specialist on science fiction books. He's probably read a lot since he runs that website or New York times, bestselling author, bestselling author in science fiction. Like these are terms that make sense. Not everybody knows the name. So use those things to your advantage inside of the A plus content as well. That's a lot of really great information. Um, sorry, came out <laughs> you like a fire hose. <laughs> and my snarky side comes out and it's like, like put information in like best author ever. And then just so that people know you are the best author author ever. <laughs> hey, humorous mic drop, right? <laughs> okay. So, um, so this has been out for about a month and a half now, right? Something like that. Yeah. Um, since the time it was released, <clears throat> excuse me, have you heard of any reports of whether or not it's helping? Um, have you noticed any authors taking advantage of it? I have seen, <laughs> I've seen some authors where when I look at the page, I'm like, I think that's hurting you. Um, like I, I, I do not want to come across as pretentious or anything. Like I'm just analyzing it as a marketer. I'm just being honest that we all know, like when you see a book cover and it clearly wasn't done well, like in a way it lowers like, Hey, look, if your cover doesn't look professional, how good is your writing? And to the, so to the shopper that can be a hindrance. Okay. Whereas when I see an amazing, like awesome looking cover, I'm like, this has got to be good because that that's professional. I'm going to say the same thing about the A plus two. I've seen some that just look unprofessional, like great. You took advantage of that space, but it's actually, I think a negative for you because it shows me that, you know, like this isn't professional. And I don't mean to sound terrible about that, but it is what it is. The market is trying to judge if I should use my time and money on this, that clearly doesn't look professional from them, 
you know, from the, from the sales page or this one that does. So I would, that's why I have that caveat of, look, if you don't have that real strong grasp or you're not very confident about what you can put there, you don't have the resources or tools, or you're not very good at graphics or have that amazing graphics person set, you may want to hold off on that because that could hinder your book than help it. Okay. Um, as for whether it's helping, I don't think we have enough data yet in order to say if it clearly is. I think it is. I think there are a lot of really cool designs that I've seen where I was like, I was like uh, Neo uh, from the Matrix. Like, Whoa, you know, just that's awesome. Um, I do this thing too, by the way. Anytime I'm on Amazon, I see a cover that really makes me do the Neo factor. Whoa, I'll right click and save it in a, in a little file on my desktop. Because when I go to make my covers, I like to look at it, like all the covers, even if they're not my genre, I'll look at the cover and I'll be like, huh, what was it about this that, that made me say, whoa, like, I love the way they put that title together, you know, or I love the shape or how that light came from this angle. And then it helps me to construct. I'm starting to do the same thing on the A plus content. As I see it, I'm like, huh, that's a really unique way to do bullet points. Like, wow, this person really highlighted those words and I like that. And so I don't have enough data to be able to say what is or isn't, but considering that Amazon gave that much space and this much capability, um, I think it's probably going to stay and I think it will have a pretty positive effect so long as it's done right. I do the same thing with book covers because uh, I, I do, I make my own book covers, but I also have a folder for bad book covers because sometimes I need encouragement. <laughs> it's like I did better than that. <laughs> That's right. And especially if those books are still selling well, it's like, yeah, no kidding. Um, okay. So, um, okay. You already talked about this a little bit, like don't kill yourself over getting it done, but what sort of priority do you think it should have for authors, especially ones that are successful, but busy. And even ones that, aren't successful, but are busy. <laughs> Basically anybody. <laughs> well, if you, if you have a really good designer, okay. Um, then go for it. Yeah. You know, uh, somebody that can maybe take, and by the way, taking your cover and kind of putting elements of your cover. Cause let's most of the time, maybe it's a PSD file from Photoshop. So you can take certain layers and put it in there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fine. Um, but if you can add another layer, like another, like here's the cover, but here's another scene or something of that, uh, something that highlights the fact, maybe it's the same two people that were on the cover, but in a different pose, like that I think is the next step. I say all this because that is, if you're really graphically talented, then you can do that and it should be done. Put Make it a part of your publishing process. But if you don't have that, say you bought a, pre-made book cover. Okay. Uh, and you're not, you know, graphically talented, uh, in that respect. And it may take you days to get it right. Whereas maybe for some people it would take an hour or two to get it right. I think that's a differentiator. So if you're like comfortable or you, because you have the person or you have the skills, then I think it's a must on your publishing. But if you don't, you know, you might not want to go down that rabbit hole. At least not until we have more data to say, whoa, yeah, do it. But seriously, the, you, you need to fork over the money to do it right. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about that. Like, would you recommend an author hire somebody to do it? Yeah, um, the other one that I'm kind of interested in is 
I've really been liking Book Brush. Um, I think that they did a great job in creating a service for authors to be able to somewhat do their own marketing content, like, you know, design of imagery uh, without having to be uber talented on the expensive programs like Photoshop. So think of it like Canva on steroids for authors. Um, and I think that they can create a lot of interesting looking level of uses of your cover to then put in there. So if somebody's a subscriber of Bookbrush, you might want to look into that. That is kind of cool. Okay, so I have one more question and then I'm going to hand it off to Lindsay for, to talk about honeymoons because that's not... Huh? <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so my question, my last question, is there anything authors shouldn't put in there? I mean, anything that you think would turn off author readers? I'm not even saying unprofessional stuff. I'm just saying things that would be a turn off to readers potentially. Yeah, well, actually, there are certain things you're not allowed to put in there. Um, and so it's definitely important to focus on. First off is you don't want to focus... You're not allowed to fo uh, talk about pricing or promotions. So if it's KU or it's free or perma-free or something like that, negatory. Can't put it in there. Uh, also, you're not allowed to use Amazon's reviews. You can use editorial reviews, just not reviews found on Amazon. I've always kind of found that weird. And I also think probably Amazon doesn't look... Uh, but even still, though, they do claim that that's something you can't do. Uh, you can use like your logo or anything about your um, author details, but you're not allowed to use Amazon's because you can't put Amazon's logo on there or the word Kindle uh, is one of those things that kind of trips them up from time to time because that's trademarked. Uh, they just want to make sure that it's not believed that this is an Amazon product, you know, the Amazon made it, you know, just in case it's a CYA for them. Uh, and then finally too, they, uh, they also say you're not allowed to put certain call to actions, you know, um, like buy now or add to cart or, uh, things like that. Uh, that being said though, I do kind of like to, shall we say <laughs> skirt on the fringe there a bit. And I'll say, you know, act now before the price changes. Uh, that is kind of like that gray area. Um, but I think it's fine because the price could change. See what Amazon is trying to do with the pricing, uh, is that they don't want you to put it's two ninety nine today. And then you forget that you changed it to five ninety nine, And now they're reporting the wrong price. They don't like that. Um, you know, or if it's on sale right now, uh, you know, okay. What if you forget now, if I say before the price changes, I mean, the price could always change in the future. And so that's kind of a good way to get them to sort of have a little bit of urgency. Um, and I like that with, with marketing. I mean, you just read any influence book or sales book and they always say, hey, try to create some urgency. You're going to see higher conversion rates. I do like putting that on there. Um, but that comes down to your preference on how you feel. But otherwise, um, no, I think it comes down to you understanding your readers, what they like. Um, you know, the faux pas that the tropes, you know, to, to avoid or those kind of things. Um, but that's it. Yeah. It'll be cool when some of those authors who do like the spreadsheets do run some, you know, AB tests like with and without to let us know. Cause I'm kind of curious, like on the one hand, I can see where some cool illustrations and extra stuff might help sell something, but I can also see being on my phone as a reader. I actually am pretty impatient when that stuff is in there. Cause I'm just trying to scroll down to read the reviews. Mm. So it's, but I know I'm not, I'm special. So I can't assume other readers or consumers are making the same decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I, 
I'm not sure. It's they don't have any way for us to set up an A/B test, which kind of sinks. But you know, if you want to do the uh, process of putting it up there, marking your sales, and then taking it off and marking your sales, and hoping that there aren't any other external variables that may affect it, and then maybe you can kind of cover with a whether that whether or not that particular thing worked. I think Amazon is analyzing as we speak to figure out if they are better or not. Um, you know, if if Amazon could figure out how to increase the conversion rates by 0.0001%, uh, that means millions of dollars for them. So clearly they're going to try to figure out if this is something to say. And I, I think it will, but we'll see. All right. And as Andrea alluded to, I wanted to bring up, uh, you also had an article on your site about the honeymoon period, the <laughs> supposed honeymoon period on Amazon when um, authors launch a new book. And there's kind of the question from authors in the community, like, do you or do you not get any kind of like boost from Amazon specifically? Uh, we kind of quoted you and mangled it a little bit. So I'm going to put the link so people can uh, check it out directly. But could you explain a little bit about your experiment and what you found in what it means for authors. Yeah. Uh, so the quick and dirty on this, but the entire uh, experiment is explained in the article. Uh, we created the system that was able to track book sales over time. And we started to look at also how many times the book was indexed somewhere on Amazon. And by that means uh, for how many keywords, um, you know, like, like maybe your book shows up for a grand total of 271 different phrases. Um this crawler we built, the problem is I can't make it, uh, it was so expensive to run because Amazon hates crawlers. So it was just more or less for the experiment itself. But that being said, though, we found out that there really is kind of that honeymoon period. When you launch your book and it's brand new, Amazon just kind of puts you in more keywords. Like, so you put in your seven Kindle keyword blocks and that's cool. Amazon takes from that and they, they expand it based off of what you put in. There. They expand it beyond. And during your launch, you just show up in more phrases. You show up more often. You show up in better rankings. And we measured this over a whole bunch of books. And we found out that at some point, all of a sudden, the honeymoon's over. And it's not that you just disappear. It's just you don't get all those other ones out there. Now, we started to look at like, well, what affects it? Because it's not the same. Um, and what we found was that when books show that they do better historically than the other ones that got the same love, then your honeymoon period lasts longer um, or it's not as bad of a drop when the time comes. Uh, so what do I mean by this? Well, say for example, book A uh, shows up for 300 keywords and book B that showed up like say six months later shows up for the same 300 keywords. Well, Amazon knows that book A made say a thousand sales because of those 300 keywords. Now, when it comes to yours, say your book B, they're going to be like, well, did they do better or worse when given the same opportunity, right? And so they see that, oh, no, they did better. They did 1,500. Then that honeymoon tends to last longer. Um, and on top of that, too, when the honeymoon period is over and they, it seems like they just kind of choo, you know, drop you in that respect, I, the drop's not that serious. It maybe drops from 300 to 220. Um, but there is a clear drop. And so that was one of the really crazy things we saw. It was kind of finally good to put that to rest that yes, there is a preference on new books over old. And I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, Amazon wants to give new books, shall we say a fighting chance, um, you know, keep things fresh, keep the store fresh so that people keep showing up. If, 
every time you typed in the word fantasy book and it was always the same books, you know, maybe you don't come back. And so I think they like to see a bit of churn and a bit of new faces showing up and give them that opportunity. I also think too, that there's a lot of, of, you know, excitement about new things. It's kind of like Google with news, right? If Google only showed the best content on a search term, uh, you know, it would really suck to try to get your news, right? You type in, oh no, there was something that happened at this school. Well, I mean, Google wants to show you the new thing, right? Uh, so that you get what you're looking for. I think products and books are kind of the same way. They know there are trends in the market. They know that people hear about something. Um, and so they want to try to churn and show the new stuff up. So, uh, you, you sort of answered this, so I'll, I'll change it a little bit, but, um, like we often, you, the phrase people would use is like the 30 day cliff or, or mm. things like that. And you've mentioned that, uh, the honeymoon lasts a bit longer if it's performing well. Do you have any, any sort of indication? Not. So do we have any sort of inv- indication of like, w- what's the minimum? Like, uh, do you, are, are we guaranteed a week of this or are they going to drop us after three days? Like, do we have any sort of indication of that? I don't know. Yeah. We, uh, we only did it for, Oh man, I don't remember the exact number. It was less than a hundred books that we did it for. Uh, and I don't think we have a statistical enough, you know, a period to be able to say that, okay, th- from here to here, we did see, uh, what, what appears. And again, appears to be was the least was a week and a half on one particular book. Um, and the longest was at least over a month and a half. Um, we stopped the experiment cause it was, it's costly. Like, uh, thousands of dollars just to be able to kind of figure this thing out. So maybe I was a bit of cheapskate short in it, but it, it was at least a month and a half. And I don't think we saw that one drop. Uh, but the others definitely did show drop. So I, to, to answer your question, I don't know. That's fair enough. Um, okay. So how much do also bots and other algorithm type things currently affect book launches? And um, what do you recommend authors do to boost their algorithms? Well, i tell you, uh, the also bots, I don't really have any hard data on the also bots. The also bots are actually really hard for me and my team to track. Um, the reason for that is Amazon's like really, and this is just under the hood information. Amazon's really weird about their also bots. Uh, they don't want to give up that information. And so I can't collect data, nor can my indexer crawl and pull that. So I can't really answer that question any more than a speculation. Uh, but one thing we just did, um, was we did a, uh, experiment that, uh, I'll actually be speaking about this at Nink, uh, here next week. Um, we did an experiment where we paid a company to bring in a whole bunch of people and the computer had this like camera that actually monitored where the eyes were on a page. And so we did this heat, we built heat maps on all the different books out there, uh, the book sales page to see what people actually stared at, what they cared about the most. Um, and what we found on that particular section for the also bought, uh, also bought is they only give a rip about, and would even look at it or stop if it was something very close to the same genre. So the only thing I could say uh, uh, quantifiably about it instead of just subjectively is that really make sure that your also bots are not 
uh, random stuff. Uh, that, that seems to hurt. Uh, if you have a whole bunch of people, like you convince a whole bunch of people that are like, say big into children's books, and then they buy your book right from the beginning, all of a sudden, you know, that, that section is almost like dead It's dead zone. Um, whereas like if you wrote a lit RPG, uh, cultivation book and Dakota Kraut's book show up like, cool. Uh, you know, that's a good sign. All right. That was, that was my, the end of my question. I forgot to hand it off to Lindsay. There you go, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've definitely seen, I've launched a series now at this point and, and I kind of treat them all the same. You know, I try to hit my newsletter, get some ads lined up. If I can get the sponsored, you know, e-reader news today and those guys to do them. So it's almost like they get almost the same push every time, but it's remarkable how much differently they perform. Like one just seems to be more to like the market or the cover and everything, which is more spot on. And I see the longer, you know, more sales kind of sticking more in the chart with, without me directly like paying, pouring money into the ads. And then other words, they, they just start to fall sooner and you're like, come on, come on, stay up there. And it just doesn't happen. So it's a, it's a hard form to crack. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So keeping all this in mind, what can authors do with their book launches to give their books the best possible shot to kind of get these extra organic sales or at least appearing more uh, in the searches and whatnot? Yeah, the key to success on the launch is consistent sales, not spikes. Um, and so what I try to tell a lot of authors is really, really work to schedule your launch and to spread things out so that instead of it being just one giant day of sales, it's a bunch of days of pretty good sales. Uh, to, to really strike this home, I would much rather a launch where I sell 10 books a day for 30 days, okay, than to sell 500 books on the first day and nothing, or maybe one book after that. Now you would say, but Dave, you sold more books with the 500 plus one each day, right? You know? Yeah. But guess what though? <laughs> right. Right about that moment, your, your book's going to like just disappear on Amazon because in that honeymoon period, you weren't able to keep consistent sales. Consistent sales shows Amazon that you're legit. Um, and so we found that books that show consistent sales across end up doing way better month two, three, four, five out than the ones that had a giant spike on day one and then followed up with not much afterwards. Um, so I would say that when you sit down, really think through, um, you know, if you have a street team, um, I, I personally actually like to launch my book, um, on what I call day minus one. Uh, so I tell everybody I'm launching on the, the fifth, but then I actually launch it on the fourth so that I can get my street team to show up on the fourth, build up the reviews, the actual, you know, um, uh, <laughs> well, I'm blanking out on the term where proof that they bought it. Social proof. No, no. Uh, verified. Purchases. Verified. There it is. Yeah. Verified. Man. I need my coffee. Um, so that I have verified reviews. Um, and that also, that gives me a day or two to index the actual categories that show up, but also make sure that I can correct any mistakes on it. Um, so that then on day two, so I get those initial sales cool on day two or day real one for everybody. Then when I send out to the email list, then when I do these marketing components, like people show up and they see 10, 15 positive reviews and they see, you know, that the, that the page is actually populated 
um, you know, that it doesn't have the NA for a Amazon bestseller rank, like all these things kind of help that I got my editorial review set up, you know, um, I think those are really important. But then after that, it really comes down to what resources you have for your marketing plan. Do you have a marketing team? Uh, do you have uh, email list. And if you do break it up into cohorts, different sections, not just mass email your entire email on day one, um, set up book promotion sites on specific days, not a whole bunch on the same day. Um, and again, it really just comes down to, um, to having the, like what resources you have, but try to spread them out. And also Amazon ads is a great time to it. And I personally, and again, there's some people that disagree with me, but this is, this is my thought is I actually like to put my Amazon ads about two thirds of the way into my marketing, uh, my, my launch. And the reason for that is usually I have the most excitement in the first week or two. So why put the ads there? on top of that. And instead, when the excitement starts to go down, that's when I uh, bring it back up, you know, with those ads. Now to give the other side of the argument that people give, uh, is that, um, having the excitement happening on Amazon at that time and having the ads helps to increase your ads conversion rate as well. And people think that that will help the campaign going forward. I don't really think that that's as noticeable and I'd prefer to keep, you know, the line from going like, shh, like that, you know, and keep it like that, that's better than to have it like, woo, and, uh, okay. <laughs> so sorry, anybody who can't, can't see what we're doing. Let's just say I really try to work for consistency, but that's my favorite part. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's almost like if you're doing a pen name and you don't have a fan base built up yet, you have a better shot <laughs> at like effectively staggering things and doing it well, because as soon as your readers, if you, when you have a larger fan base, you know, your newsletter, especially is always going to be your biggest thing. And I found that if I don't tell them on day one, they, they're like, they're signing up to the newsletter as an agreement. Like I want the news now when the new release comes out. So it's like, logically, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, Oh, it'd be great to do split the newsletter over like three days, but if I'm waiting till Thursday, you know, and it came out on Sunday to email folks, they're kind of like, uh, you know, like I already bought it. Where, where, why didn't you email me already? So I don't know, just acknowledging that as a challenge. Cause for most people, the, the newsletter is like going to be the biggest bump by far. I always have a super hard time. Like I'll say, yeah, spend $500 a day on Amazon ads. You know, it's just never going to be compared. And I, I don't think I've ever got it to spend that much, but never going to be comparable to like that one, what you get from your newsletter. Yeah. I, I, to this day say the newsletter is by far the best, um, the best asset any career author can have. And I say career author, because if you're just doing one book, right, you just, it's just one and one and done, whatever the purpose is for that. Uh, email list can just be a whole nother crazy gambit that adds too much. But if you intend to write a second, third, fourth, let me tell you, building that email list as that email list builds with each book, it's crazy, but the next book becomes a little bit more or has a higher chance to success because of the email list from before. And then the next book and the next book and the next book. And I, uh, as you build that out, um, yeah, you're right. I, I agree. There, there are definitely some avid fans. Um, and I would say that if you have those avid fans that are like hungry, voracious, you know, that, that would get after you and be like, Hey, I noticed this came out five days ago and you send it now. Like what? I, I would probably put a little tag on that person and say, you know, like street 
member, you know, street team or, you know, a uh, beta team or whatever the name is. Uh, there's three different terms for it, but put that tag on them. So then you can put that person in that group to make sure they get it uh, immediately. And that you can even build them up more so by saying, Hey, I'm actually going to relaunch this secretly. Um, just, you know, I really value you as a reader. You've, you know, we've had great conversations about the book and everything like that, just giving you the heads up. Um, and that's maybe one way to kind of handle it from a long-term perspective. I do like to kind of mark and segment my list as much as I can, but I'm also, and I, I know you're like me, Lindsay, um, I really like to get into those little, little things and, like tailor messages for individuals and things like that. So that might be an answer. All right. Now um, there's a lot of benefits we talk about on the show about writing in, in series and things like that. And uh, mm. the, it, 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 when it comes to the honeymoon period, this is sort of a, a tricky thing because when it comes to the mid and late series books, you can't really push promotion on the book itself on launch because it's going to be book five, book four. And, uh, you know, people who are seeing that book as the first book they've seen are less likely to pick it up. So you're frequently funneling stuff back to the beginning of the series, but that means you're implicitly funneling sales to something that's outside of its, of its, you know, uh, honeymoon window. It's not getting that free boost anymore. So like, how does one best take advantage of, of, you know, the boost you get at launch when you can't really promote the book that you're launching? Actually, that's a really good question. One of the things that I did learn, um, we did uh, mistakenly put a couple of like book four or five in a series into the group that we were testing. And uh, I I laugh because every time I do these experiments, I always find something that was like, oh, what was I thinking? In this case, it was one of those like, yay, wow, thank God I did that. Um, we found that what ended up happening, at least what we think from what we saw, is that Amazon kind of knows who's bought book three, two, and one. So when book four shows up, that book, we believe, was actually showing up to that market more so than not. Um, and if you think about it, that would be ridiculously smart for Amazon to do. That would be a very big earner for them. Like, clearly, if I read book one, two, and three, like, Amazon, help me out and let me know when book four comes out. Show it more often. Uh, put it in the top of searches. Like, maybe it wouldn't naturally, say, get on you know, rate number one in Amazon for the term lit RPG, right? But if it's me and you know that I bought one, two, and three, you know conversion rates. So yeah, throw that one up in there. And it is, we have found that your shopping experience differs based off of what you bought, unless you're using like incognito mode or stuff like that. Uh, so I believe that the series benefit uh, in a little bit differently uh, and maybe even a little bit more uh, because of the honeymoon period, because they want to get in front of your previous shoppers. So they kind of help you in that respect. That's a good point. Um, okay. And if they're not doing that and our data is wrong, then Amazon, hire me. Let me help you here. <laughs> well, Amazon should probably hire you anyway. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, except then you probably wouldn't be doing as much <laughs> for the indie community. <laughs> No, I don't think I could go over to them. I'm, I'm good. I remember the purpose was to be home with my family. Was, yeah, exactly. Um, it's I'm like happy. living the. My husband's not going to listen to this episode. I'll warn him ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> he really wants to be working from home, but he works in the emergency response team for COVID in our state, and they don't let you work from home. He doesn't. He doesn't get to take samples home to us, which I kind of appreciate. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. 
<clears throat> anyway, so for someone who is <coughs> data-driven, I absolutely love this article. It's a lot of fun to me. Um, I understand, though, that not everyone feels that way. Uh, so how do you recommend authors who aren't obsessed with data or who are even intimidated by it smartly approach their book launches? Uh, yeah, um, that's a hard question to answer because uh, everybody's going to have uh, preferences. Everybody has different backgrounds. What I would say is um, make a makeshift schedule and try to fill in the schedule. Uh, so, you know, like a little calendar, even if it's a paper calendar, okay, day one, two, three, four, five, and so forth. And then try to find something that you will do on that particular day and mark it down. So if you're going to post on social media to your friends, put that on a certain day. Um, and again, that comes down to the resources that you have. Maybe you do some research to find other things. Uh, but I think that that's the easiest way for someone to approach it, especially if maybe this is their first or second book launch. What usually happens is a lot of authors hit the publish button. And then the next thing they think is, okay, great. What am I going to do now? And they panic. Uh, and they end up burning themselves out trying to figure these things out. I think just take that time, build a schedule, fill it in. As you do your second, third, fourth, fifth, you're going to have more capabilities, more experience, and you can just kind of pop them in there um, and, and just grow from there. I can't remember if you mentioned it in the article or not, but what are your thoughts on pre-orders as far as hurting your launch period? Because maybe you're spreading it out too thin and you're kind of overcoming slower sales uh, when you do launch. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that uh, on Amazon right now? Yeah, I actually recorded a YouTube video on this and I was I was like, I'm not a fan of pre-orders, um, but, but big caveat. I'm not a fan for pre-orders for authors who don't have a marketing plan. Okay. Um, I think a lot of authors had this idea that, Hey, you know, I'm going to set a pre-order now and that way it's going to force me to write my book. Like, and, and if a sale happens, then the way that works is Amazon takes all the sales, maybe four sales happen in those six months and they're going to take those four sales and they're just going to count to day one. And I strongly do not believe that's the case. Uh, yes, it shows up in your dashboard as such, like the four sales occur at that moment. But what I think happens is that Amazon is sort of looking at your book when you put the pre-order and they're trying to figure out how successful is this pre-order. Like, like, let's gauge as to how successful this book will be based off of the amount of excitement we're seeing now over this time period. So first off, if you don't have a marketing plan during your pre-order, uh, then I highly, and, and you're thinking of a long period of time, I think that's a bad idea. Now here's when a pre-order is a great idea. When you're a writer of a series, okay? Um, that's cool because like we talked about right on book two, three, and four, what's the best time to hit somebody up for the next sale after they finish book two? right? Or book three, like when they just finish it, like the story's fresh in their mind. Give me that opportunity to just buy it now. Um, you know, I would love to just jump on it, especially if you're writing fast. Now, if it's a year out, maybe, maybe not, but why not just get the sale right then and there, right? I want the next book. I'm clearly going to read the next book. I get that. So that is a great time. Second off is if you have a following and you can send and make sales over time. I think that's a great opportunity too. And the third one is, is if you're just doing a pre-order maybe a week or two before your launch, 
just so you can get your ducks in a row. Okay. And get some things set up. And, you know, I launch it and, you know, hide it for a day or two or three, depending on what the system is, just so I can get my ducks in a row. I mean, technically, I guess I could do a pre-order or not, but I use it for my marketing advantage. But some people like to set it one or two weeks beforehand to get things organized and ready. Uh, I don't think that's a bad idea either. But for the authors who are new that just throw it up there and think that it's going to benefit, I actually think it really hurts them. And I tell, I try to tell them, please don't do that. Um, instead, if you fall in one of the other categories we just talked about, go for it. All right. Good to know. Yeah. I always do pre-orders for the later books in the series, but book one, I only do maybe a week just so I can try to set up some of the sponsorship sites that, uh, you know, you kind of have to book them a few weeks yep. in advance, yep, exactly. um, but it's always hard to know, like, Oh, am I, am I going to dilute my launch juice if I have the pre-order up for longer? I think, I think that's the case. I, I do think it does dilute the, the launch juice. If you have it for longer and you're not doing some kind of marketing. Um, and I, if I were to guess, and I don't have data on this part that I'm about to say, but, um, I imagine that Amazon is is not expecting as many sales as when you go to launch, but I'm sure they have some historic value that basically says, you know, a book that is going to do this well will usually sell this much in the pre-order period. Whereas if they only sell this much, then they're probably only going to do this one. I think they're gaming the system a bit. And so I do think that it may hurt if you're doing it for a long period of time and you have zero marketing for it. Yeah. The, the one time I've, I've seen it where it doesn't seem to matter at all is authors that have a huge uh, KU following. Mm, since yeah. Those can't be pre-ordered, you know, and if you've got a thousand or 2000 people who are going to go jump on it and borrow it the first day, then, you know, it's probably going to overcome any stagnation that might've, you know, happened during the pre-order period. Very true. Um, but we wanted to finish up with a few questions just about keywords and categories. And maybe this should have come first because we've been talking a little bit about keywords all through this. But uh, just to get basic, uh, what should people be putting in their seven keyword boxes on Amazon? I feel like people who don't have Publisher Rocket, which I think Joe and I both have. I don't know if Andrea does or not. She's She disappeared to handle small children. Um but like, yeah, in the beginning, I was just like, well, epic fantasy, uh, epic fan, you know, kind of what you think, or I'd like hit it in the search box, start typing and, you know, whatever popped up. Oh, that looks good. So what are your thoughts? And how much does that actually even matter? Like how many people are searching for epic fantasy romance or whatever yeah. some of these keywords are? So um, before I answer that, let me just step back on the last question and just add one more thing too. Um, I do not think it's a good idea to do Amazon ads to or any advertisement uh, to a um, a uh, pre-order. Pre-order, thank you. Wow, man, my brain's starting to slow down. Uh, pre-order. Uh, the reason for that is uh, you're paying money to get them to click and to show up. Um, it's very rare for somebody to say, oh, wow, look at this new interesting book yeah, let me pre-order. I think the conversion rate's a lot lower, which means it's even harder to get your money's worth in the advertisement. So I just want to put that in there as well before we move on. The second thing is, uh, to answer your question, man, when we talk about um, when we talk about keywords and categories, I could probably do hours on that subject. But let me try to answer your question uh, very succinctly. When it comes to your Kittle keywords, one of the things that we found is that broad keywords usually don't convert in sales. Um, 
whereas niche, more descriptive ones do. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, we kind of hinted about it before. Like maybe somebody types in fantasy book. What are the, like, and by the way, a lot of people type that in. Um, there are a lot of readers that aren't super avid and know exactly how to describe the book they want. Um, so what they do is they go to Amazon, they type in fantasy book. They look, they see, or, you know, let's do a different example. They type in romance book. <laughs> they look and they see, oh, yep, there, there's, the, there's um, a shirtless man there, and a shirtless man there, and there's a half wolf man shirtless there. And they're like, oh, okay, hold on, hold on. And so what, are, and by the way, what are the chances that Amazon is going to show the perfect romance book that you're looking for, like on just the word romance book. So then people go up to the top, they add a word to it. They say, you know, cause by the way, most people don't delete. They just kind of filter by adding more words. So they add another word in there and it's like, all right, um, well, I don't want the scantily clad men or anything like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to type in, um, I'm going to type in, uh, we'll say wholesome. Okay, cool. Now we got it. You know, now, now the shirtless men go away and, and it shows, you know, two dressed people holding each other, you know, lightly in the park. And then they're like, okay, great. Well, I found the kind of romantic book that I'm looking for, but you know, I'm watching downtown Abbey and, uh, I'd really love to see some Victorian era, you know? And so they type in Victorian and now, you know, and so what ends up happening is, is that people start to really niche down their own search. And when they do that, they start to get to what they're actually looking for and what they actually want. And what's interesting is, is that, uh, like, say, for example, writing science fiction or so, I would much rather rank number one for the term sci-fi military uh, Earth invasion than I would sci-fi. And maybe people are like, what? Like, that's crazy. But no, no, no. Because the, even though it's less people who type in sci-fi military Earth invasion, if I'm ranking number one for that term, I'm making a lot, a high percentage of those searches. I'm making those sales because it's clearly that, uh, you know, you're going to see that and you're going to be like, that's awesome. I love this. Um, and you're going to buy. Whereas there are going to be a lot of people who may see it and they may pass over it. Um, you know, and so that's just kind of a quick example of, of how shoppers shop and how they term. Same thing with nonfiction. You know, you may say how to quit smoking and you see a whole bunch of them, but then you see kids and you're like, oh, you know, well, that's what I was actually thinking. Like, how do I get my kids to stop smoking? So then you augment it, you know, and you say four kids, you know, which is, which is by the way, like looking at some of the terms that Amazon really suggests or the stuff that we're pulling from our databases, it's some of the weirdest stuff. Like, uh, yeah how to stop smoking for kids, or I think it's smoking for kids is one of the ones where we all got to chuckle because they put in smoking, not how to, they were lazy or whatever. You wouldn't believe how many people will type that in. We're like, Oh my God, like, come on. The other one that I love too is second chance romance with baby. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, like, no, no, it's not weird stuff. It's just exactly that process we talked about, which is second chance romance. And then they think, well, I want a wholesome one, not, not some bondage, whatever craziness. And so they end up saying, well, she's with child. And instead of saying she's with child or that they just say, well, with baby, like there's a baby in the picture, you know, <laughs> but it is so... <laughs> sorry, I digress. But the point though is, is that it, it's really these kind of terms that help to, you know, help people to quantify what it is they're actually looking for. And they just keep doing it until they find 
the thing that's for them. Uh, so if you're an author and you're trying to figure out how you come up with them, uh, just type in like Kindle keywords into Google. I think I've got an article for that or fiction keywords into Google. And I've got an article for that as well. And it breaks down the process on how you, you know, like what things you should think about inside your terms. You know, there are certain ways, certain things that, ought, that, excuse me, shoppers use when shopping for fiction books. And there are certain things that uh, shoppers use when searching for nonfiction books. And so pairing these phrases together can help to build the bigger picture and the better picture. All right. Um, so along with keywords is categories. And, and uh, it seems like there are certain categories that Amazon has that you can't choose. They just sort of put you in there because of your keywords or because of some other extrapolation they're doing. And those seem to be, uh, this seems to show up, new ones seem to show up more often in those cases. Uh, let's say, for example, I wrote a, a superhero book at a time when there was not a superhero subgenre. And now there is. If you discover that a category comes along that suits your book better than what you had to put it in uh, initially, should you put the effort into adding it to the new category after the fact. Does changing your categories uh, impact sufficiently to make it worth doing? That is, all right, so there's a lot unpacked on this one. This could be an old, its own episode by itself. Um, let, me, let me start by breaking down Amazon a bit. Um, so first off, when you go to publish your book on Amazon, uh, on KDP, right, they have that pop-up box for you to select you know, what they say is categories. Well, first off, those are BISACs, not Amazon categories. Um, and BISACs is an international standard code for logistics. It's a logistic thing. Um, it was where all the, all the, uh, shops in the world had a problem where when some publisher would say, Oh, we're Wiccan, you know, and, and it's a Wiccan, you know, fantasy. And, one shop may interpret that as in religious studies. Another one may, you know, interpret that as fantasy books like non or fiction. And so it caused a lot of problems. So they created this database where when you select one of the BISAC codes, it, it automatically translates to exactly what shelf on that come on that, you know, in that store to put the book, right? And so Amazon does that. So when you select from the BISACs, Amazon takes from that. And they put you in what they think is one of their categories. And by the way, there's, uh, what, 4,700 BISACs, but there's over 11,000 Amazon categories. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is by the way, we just wrote an article about this, but Amazon just got rid of that whole requirement for keywords. Um, as a matter of fact, it was about a year ago, they used to say that, hey, there are certain categories that the only way you can get in there is if you use a keyword in one of your seven Kindle keyword boxes, then we'll put you in there. Um, they got rid of it. They've even deleted it from their, their website. We found the archive.org of the original post. Um, but the reason why they got rid of it is now they have an entire form for any author to fill out, to change or add their, uh, their categories as much as they want. And so that trumps it. Like you, if you put that category in there, they'll put you in it. There are some stipulations like young adult you need or children's books. You need to make sure you have the right age and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I, that's for them to make sure that nobody crosses the streams. But, um, but because of that process, they no longer need it. But one last thing to the process is that Amazon still does naturally put you in some categories. Uh, say, for example, they do see that you put authorian as one of your keywords. Uh, there is a chance. They're not very quick. They're not very good about it. But they may actually put you in the authorian category just because that was one of the phrases. So sometimes you may get put into something just naturally, 
but it's not as often as it used to be. I just don't think Amazon cares as much. Uh, so that process is, is the categories. Now, to answer specifically the question you had about, is it good or not? Yes and no, it can be. Um, first off, to really make it blunt for categories, there's really only three benefits uh, to categories. The first is if you're able to be a bestseller on the category, then you get the bestseller tag. And the bestseller tag helps because when somebody does a keyword search and when your book shows up somewhere in those results, that bestseller tag makes your book stick out. We've seen that it increases the uh, click-through rate. People will stop. Even if you're not number one, they may jump over one and two and look at you uh, and then click on it. So that gives you more of that. It also gives social proof because it says bestseller. And so you have higher conversion rates during that time period. Uh, so if you can be a bestseller, great. If you can be a part of a category that people actually shop on, that helps too. Um, that's also great for new release, hot and new. It's very easy to be ranked in the top, say, 25 of even a more broad category when you're hot and new uh, than it is... Um, you know, it's just very easy to do that. And there is a section, and that means people who shop, say, sci-fi military will see your book in the top 25 because you're hot and new. So that's more eyes on it. That does help. So adding something um, can help in that respect. And the third thing is, is that selecting your categories helps Amazon to kind of know more about your book. We do see a correlation between if you really show that you're a nonfiction orphan book, then they're not going to hose it up by putting you next to Harry Potter or some kind of uh, fiction orphan book. So that just helps kind of create stronger paths by which. So if your book really does fit that, and maybe it's not going to get you number one because it's super competitive, you're not new because you're not, hot, you know, it's not a new book or so, but giving them one more understanding, one more data point to make better decisions, that's not a bad thing. And it only takes like, I don't know, a minute to do. Um, might as well just invest that one minute, get that added category in there and help them understand your book better. Man, kids these days are so spoiled. Getting into the correct categories back in the day was so not fun. Right? Uh, I remember when you could get them to call you though. Wow. Oh, yeah, yes. Actually, that was a long time. I never actually wanted them to call me. I was like, don't call me. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. I did, I did it for like a visual component, you know? It, it, it was like, uh, yeah, it was, um, no, it's much better to communicate via, uh, typing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> I hate getting phone calls. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> um, Amazon loves pulling the rug out from under its merchants and under all of us all the time. It's really annoying, but in what ways has their approach toward categories and keywords changed over the years and how has that affected you and KDP rocket? Yeah, well, I tell you what, they definitely keep me on my toes. Um, and, and you know, uh, it is what it is. I, I try my best. Um, I am... The thing about it is Amazon's always trying to find ways to make more money. Uh, you know, and it, it makes sense. Like like, like I said, if, if they can increase their conversion rate by 0.001%, it's going to equate in more millions. Um the, I think, I think the best way for authors to understand it is whatever's best for Amazon. It's probably usually the thing. Um, but yeah, for, for, for me, I just gotta, you know, especially with rocket, uh, we're always adding new features to it. I've really got to keep my pulse 
or my finger on the pulse to figure out where they're going. Uh, we've shifted a lot more towards databases, uh, which helps me to collect more information and learn more about Amazon proactively instead of reactively. Um, we've created a lot more warning systems to kind of help us. Oh, look at that. They're AB testing. That's one of the biggest things. When they do their AB test, they don't just test it everywhere. It might be like one cohort of shoppers, one type of shoppers, one state, one, you know, a couple of IP addresses. It could be all these different things, but which is what causes, like, for example, uh, people were freaking out because they got rid of categories, you know, well, it was only like, a couple of people were not seeing the categories anymore. So we have a hard time of figuring out what Amazon's actually doing or if it's an A-B test or if it's a market test. Um, but yeah, just got to stay on your toes with them. Um, and it's not, if you can equate it to how does it make more Amazon more money, that's usually the best way to understand if it's actually going to stick. Kind of like we talked about A-plus content, right? Hey, if they see that it's making, it's converting better overall, it's making them more money, it stays. If it's costing them money, it's gone. Yeah. That seemed to have happened with the also bots, you know, with them disappearing from most authors and they're yeah. back. So, I mean, obviously it made Amazon more money and yeah. yeah. And then they, they also tried to put it under the sponsored uh, products. Right. And why? Because the sponsored products, every time somebody clicks that Amazon makes more money and potentially sales, whereas with the also bots, it wasn't. And then it became this calculation. Well, when we did this, we made more money. And when we did this, we didn't. So we go with this. So they're always trying to figure out what makes them more money. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So my last question is how, like, what should authors keep a lookout for in the future when it comes to these sorts of changes? I mean, you're, this is really great that you're keeping a pulse on things. <laughs> so you would be very generous to share everything, right? All of these A-B testing they're doing. <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. what, what should authors keep an out, keep a lookout for? Honestly, I think the best thing is, um, you know, either listening and watching things like this. Um, I would also say uh, being a part of a Facebook group that's, you know, like 20 books to 50K is a great one. Um, because just spending a little time looking in there, I if something gets changed or something gets removed or some new feature happens, somebody's going to announce it for sure in those groups. Uh, and a matter of fact, sometimes I'm finding out, Oh, look, they're starting their AV testing. Cause you can see in the group because somebody's like, they got rid of such and such. Oh, I still see it. Well, I don't, well, I do. I don't. Oh my goodness. What's going on. It's like, yeah, they started an AV test. Let's sit back, sip the coffee and wait for the dust to settle. Uh, but at least it kind of gives you an understanding of what's happening. I think those are two really good things. What I will say for authors too is, is that, yeah, we got to write our books. Writing our books are super important. What I recommend is just maybe taking like a 30 minute, like even schedule it just 30 minutes a day or something just to go on to that Facebook group or check out the latest episode, you know, find out what's going on and then get right back to your writing. Don't fall down that rabbit hole. There's a lot of information out there. It always seems like there's somebody asking, no matter what, does it, did your sales drop off today? My sales have completely oh, yeah. dropped did off. Did Amazon month. do something today? Because <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you've been a great source of information today for us, Dave. Um, do you want to, anything you want to plug or let people know you're working on? Uh, we'd already talked about Publisher Rocket, but people can get that. And, and what else do you have going on? Yeah, actually, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, we'll be launching Atticus.io, uh, which kind of put Atticus.io in, in perspective. It's basically Vellum, but works on all platforms and it's half the cost. Uh, and then on top, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, been working on this bad boy for over a year. Um, and what's really cool is, is that that's what we launched with is film, but half the cost and works on all platforms. However, though, that's not what we're going to stop at. My ultimate goal with Atticus.io is, and this is how I describe it, if Scrivener, Google Docs, and Vellum got together and had a baby, they'd call it Atticus. Uh, because I've always hated as an author having to jump from program to program to program, um, having to export. And you know, so here I write on Scrivener. That was my favorite way back when, right? Uh, and then I export it to Word. And then I have to email it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with my editor, you know, and then I finally have seven different copies on my computer that say final, final, final version. This is the final stupid. No, really, this one's it. Uh, and then I have to upload it to a formatting program. And then the problem is by the time I'm done formatting, I usually have to take a couple of the Word documents because I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> and I put it in a file and then ever forbid I ever have to update it. You know, I have to reopen everything or figure out where I was, change the also buy section, you know, and re like, and wouldn't it be great if there was one system? And so we've developed Atticus to, uh, what I, I would say make Scrivener, but way more user friendly and not require a $200 course in order to kind of understand half of it. Uh, and then make it where you can collaborate with editors, other writers. Uh, you can even collaborate with your art team through it or your beta team uh, inside of it. You can control who has access to it. Um, and then right when you're ready, you format right within it. And so everything's just right there. That sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. Is that going to be uh, web-based or software that people download? Both. Uh, it's actually the best of both worlds. It's called a PWA, which is called a progressive web app. Um, and what it is, is that you can like literally, uh, you can access it from any web browser. So you can log into it. So if you're using a different computer, no problem. Uh, you can also click a button and download it onto your desktop, uh, or into your, uh, app icon and you can click from there. Uh, it saves everything syncs up to the cloud, but you can also save it locally on your computer as well. Um, and the reason for this is this allows us to basically have the ability to do the collaboration component, right? Uh, connect with other authors or other, by the way, I love how the arms disappear there for a second. <laughs> um, but you can connect with other authors. Um, but at the same time, you do not need to be connected to the internet to use it. The only time you have to be online with Atticus is when you upload a new document to it. So say you wrote it on Word, you want to upload it to it, you need to be connected to the internet for that. If you're collaborating with somebody, got to have internet for that component. Uh, and finally, when you go to export your final product, that's the only time that has to be connected. Otherwise, you can be offline as well. All right. Awesome. Do you have a website up there for that? I can grab the link afterwards too, to send people to, uh, yep. the show will go out next week, a week from today. So you'll be at Nink and, uh, that's right. I don't know and if your software will be ready yet, but <laughs> we believe like soon. that we will be launching September 29th. Um, and so you can find it at atticus.io and anybody who wants to sign up for it beforehand, um, you know, we can, uh, you'll find a button there, sign up and we can give you some, some, uh, early access. All right. I will put that in the show notes too. I think that's all we have. Is there anything else you wanted to say, Dave, before we let you go? No, I think that's about it. Thanks for having me guys. All right. Well, thank you for all the great information and thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. The show notes uh, will be at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Bye, guys. See y'all later. So long, everybody.